Welcome everyone to the Finn Sports Football Podcast. I'm your host Anthony John Deletti, and interesting news, guys. Right before uh, I'm recording this, just woke up um, about 30 minutes ago, and news broke early this morning that Chan Gailey, offensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins, has officially, <laughs> officially resigned from the Miami Dolphins today. Um, the reason I laugh is because yesterday. I guess I don't really know exactly what happened. I, I don't have Twitter, but I'm assuming, based off what I read, a fake Adam Schefter, <laughs> a fake Adam Schefter account released that um, Chan Gailey had gotten fired. And at first, for a good hour, I think it was about like an hour, that was the news that broke. There was no speculation about it. There was news that broke yesterday morning. Chan Gailey has been fired. And for an hour, everyone was freaking out. Mostly good. Some people were upset about it, but mostly good reactions because a lot of Dolphins fans, we'll get into it, but a lot of Dolphins fans don't like Chan Gailey. Um, And so a lot of Dolphins fans were freaking out. They were so excited. And then about an hour later, um, ESPN released that it was a false rumor it was a rumor, it wasn't true, and that someone got duped into believing a fake Adam Schefter Twitter account, um, and so they took it back. Obviously, the Dolphins didn't have to comment on it because they only have to comment on articles that are made by um, official Twitter accounts, say like actual Adam Schefter reported that. The Dolphins could comment and be like, no, this isn't true, or they could release their own statement. But because it came from a fake Adam Schefter account, they didn't have to comment on it. Um, And so yesterday, basically the whole entire day, we were like, oh, like we a lot of people got excited. Some people were upset. And then one, two, three just completely flipped. It was like April Fool's. We're just kidding. Early on in January, we're going to we're going to pop up with an April Fool's. So the whole day yesterday, we were like, okay, well, Chan Gailey is not going to be fired. And the Dolphins, uh, Chris Greer and Brian Flores had their press conference, which I'll get into slightly. Um, But they had their press conference and in it, Brian Flores was asked, he said, uh, they asked him, do you expect your assistant coaches and coordinators to come back next year? And Brian Flores, because obviously, you know, earlier that day had just been announced that Chan Gailey was not being fired. Brian Flores said, I expect all of our assistant coaches back. I expect our coordinators back. I expect everyone back. He said, but I don't want to say that and jinx it because last year when I said that, obviously the Dolphins had a couple of coaches that left for better opportunities. So he's like, so I don't want to jinx it, but I'm expecting all of our coaches back next year. Well, wake up this morning and find out you're one of your biggest coaches. uh, Chan Gailey, your offensive coordinator, is not coming back now. Look, I don't think Brian Flores didn't know that yesterday. I think he, you know, if he were to have said yesterday, look, we're going to look into it. We have no idea yet. Then there would be a lot of speculation today. I think it was Chan Gailey's birthday. He didn't want Chan Gailey to have to really deal with a lot of stuff. So he was like, yeah, I'm expecting everyone back. But he knew yesterday Chan Gailey was going to resign. This isn't just something you say one, two, three. This is something that Chan Gailey has been thinking of for probably a good amount of the latter half of the season. And so, you know, I don't think Brian Flores or Chris Greer was surprised by this. It's just more us so more so us fans because, you know, 
between yesterday's fake news and then today this happening and then Brian Flores yesterday saying he expected everyone back. It was just kind of a big shock, but I don't think Brian Flores or Chris Greer are surprised at all by this. I think they knew. Um, and so real quick, I wanted to talk about Chan Gailey and his year here. And I wanted to address people who don't like Chan Gailey, people who do like him, give you my opinion and what I think about this move. So Chan Gailey this year, um, here's the thing on it that here, let me just give you my view. I think I'll start with that. I liked Chan Gailey. Did I love him? No. Did I love his system? No. I'm a huge person where I believe in a body of work over anything else. And when I looked at his body of work, I saw good. I saw him being a better teacher than anything, but I didn't see him being this amazing system or else he would have had more head coaching jobs. He would have had more opportunities, but instead he wasn't in the league anymore. No one was really reaching out to him. So I always really liked Chan Gailey's system, but I wasn't in love with it. I didn't think it was anything amazing or groundbreaking. I just liked it. Here's the thing we need to understand as Dolphin fans. Whether you like Chan Gailey or not, you have to recognize you have to recognize what he did with the little talent he had around him. Chan Gailey improved our offense from last year. Okay. It, it improved from last year. And he had very little talent. Between all the injuries we had all year, he had no running game. He had three rookie offensive linemen playing, and for more than half the season, because Tua played ten out of sixteen games. Well, he actually played, he actually played nine because Fitz came in in one of those games. But the point is, for ten out of ten out of sixteen games, Tua was your starter, and so given all of that, given no off season, no time to mesh with Tua, no time to really understand what kind of quarterback he is, it would be stupid for you to think that Chan Gailey was not a good offensive coordinator, at least from a leadership teacher's perspective. You may not like his scheme. You may not like his play calling at times, but you have to understand that what he was working with was very, very little. And the most important thing that I took away from Chan Gailey is how important it is to have a teacher at the helm because last year the thing about Chad O'Shea was while we as fans liked his offense at times the players hated him the players hated him because his he was not a good teacher his scheme was way too complex and they really really did like um, Chan Gailey but I think what's happening with Chan Gailey is he understood and and this is my philosophy and my belief he came in for one year to put a system in that Tua could run, but more importantly, that Fitz was going to thrive in because Brian Flores in this offseason, I've talked about him multiple times, him and Chris Greer built this team around the defense first because he came from a system in New England where he saw if you build the defense first, you can win a lot of games with a mediocre, mediocre offense. So that's what they did. And so what he was thinking, Brian Flores, I'm talking about, let's bring in Chan Gailey. Because Ryan Fitzpatrick thrived in his system. It's really the only time he's ever looked like a good quarterback. He thrived in his system. Let's bring in him. Make our offense as good as possible for this year. Because I'm telling you guys this right now. They did not expect Tua to play this much. Between the injury, between the bye week originally being week 11, they did not expect Tua to play this much. And so they were looking at it as, originally, Fitz is going to play 11 games. 
10 to 11 games. And so let's put a system in that he's really good at, that it's not going to be really hard for everyone to understand. And let's have a really good defense and win some games. Obviously, that changed. The bye week came earlier. They put two in there. And that's where the chemistry started to flip because Chan Gailey, rightfully so, I mean, understandably so, he wasn't able to call that many good plays for Tua because he had no offseason with him. He's a rookie quarterback who's coming off an injury. I have no knock on Chan Gailey. There were times where I felt like he didn't help because he would call certain plays at certain times where I was like, I don't understand that. But overall, if you hate Chan Gailey, I don't understand you, to be honest. I think it's a really lazy and stupid take. You should not hate Chan Gailey. You may not like his scheme. That's fair, because I don't I don't like his scheme. I think it's kind of outdated. Um, and I don't think he's ever shown the ability to develop quarterbacks. But you shouldn't hate him overall with what he was able to do with this offense, with the little talent that we have. Okay? So that's my take on Chan Gailey. Now... Let me talk about the positives and negatives to this move, okay? So obviously, we didn't fire him. It's not like the Dolphins fired him like yesterday's report said. He resigned. And I think they knew this all along. Um, I don't think Chan Gailey was going to stay here for the long haul. So let me talk about what this means for the team, the positives and the negatives. The neutral, I guess it's not really positive and negative. I would be shocked if Ryan Fitzpatrick was here next year. And the reason I say that is because from this point on, they are going to implement a system into this offense that is Tua catered, catered towards Tua's talents and skill set. They're not going into a season now with a different starting quarterback. Tua is their guy. They said it yesterday. Um, And so whatever offense they implement, it's going to be catered to his skill set. So now that Chan is gone... A neutral, uh, I guess, effect, because it's not really bad or good. It's it's either, depending on how you feel about Fitz. Fitz will no longer be here. I, I would be shocked if he came back. He's going to be 30. What is he? I think his birthday this year, he turned 38. So he's going to be 38 going on 39. He doesn't want to be a backup. He might go try to be you know a starter somewhere else, maybe kind of like he was in Miami, where let me be the starter until another guy replaces me. Or he might just retire, guys. Who knows? Uh, But I would be shocked if Fitz came back only because, I mean, why would he stay as a backup to Tua when they're going to implement a scheme that is catered to Tua and not to Fitz? Which they should do. They should implement a system for Tua, not for Fitz. So that's a neutral effect that this is going to have. I I would be shocked. Again, I'm, I'm never afraid to be wrong. I will admit I'm wrong. I do not think Fitz will be back on this team next year. Now, as far as when they get rid of him, I would probably get rid of him after free agency because, or actually, I I don't know. You could get rid of him after free agency, but then if he wants to go to another team, you shouldn't wait that long. Um, But I would expect him to be gone by the end of February at the latest. Now, let's talk about the positive and negative effects. Let's start first with the negative because I like to get that out of the way. The negative effects of this, a lot of people, whether you hate him or like Chan Gailey, you have to understand the significance of this move because they need, I I said this on Bleacher Report, you can go check it out. This move right here, uh, by this move, I mean us hiring a new offensive coordinator is going to be the biggest development 
in the offseason. People can talk about free agency. People can talk about the draft. At the end of the day, the three main things of a franchise that you need, we already got. Quarterback, coach, general manager. So as much as the draft is important, at the end of the day, it's just icing on a cake because we already went 10-6. and This draft is not super, super important because at the end of the day, we're not getting a quarterback. We already have our coach. We already have a fantastic general manager. So... Really, this is going to be the biggest development this offseason. And the reason I say this could be a negative is because the last thing you want to do with a rookie quarterback is keep changing their scheme. And so for Tua, this scheme needs to be a scheme that he is going to run for at least another four to five years. So whoever you decide to hire, I've seen some people say that we should go out and get someone else. It shouldn't be internal. I've seen some people say that it should be internal. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm not 100% um, certain on this, but I've seen a lot of rumors indicating that the Dolphins are looking to promote an internal offensive coordinator like the tight end coach George Gotze or the running back coach Eric Studsville. I have, I, here's my thing on it. At the end of the day, I have no reason to want anyone outside the organization because it, I, I have, I don't really know who's out there. A lot of people are like, let's get this amazing offensive mind from college. Look, if there's an amazing offensive mind from college, they're not going to want to take a backup offensive coordinator role in the NFL. They're either going to want to go be a head coach in the college football or a head coach in NFL. They're not going to want to, you know, I, I've seen, uh, who who was it? Um, I'm skipping on his name. The coach from Alabama, um, the, not Alabama. It's not Nick Saban. Um, the OU uh, coach. I, I forget what his name is. I'm skipping on. Oh, L- Lincoln Riley. People were saying, I would love to have Lincoln Riley as our offensive coordinator. Lincoln Riley is not going to give up the head coaching job at OU to be an offensive coordinator. So you can just get that out of your mind. So here's my thing. I would much rather promote someone from within because you want to give to a people that he's familiar with and you want to give him people that he understands how to communicate with. If you bring in someone completely different, I feel like that would hinder his growth more than help it. And so that could be a negative about Changeli leaving. As much as people want to say, thank God he's gone, didn't like his scheme, didn't like his play calling... Understand, we said all of this same stuff about Ryan Tannehill, and he kept going through coordinator after coordinator after coordinator, and it hindered his growth because he was never able to go through two full seasons of the same system until Adam Gase, and obviously that's Adam Gase, so it's you know not really saying much, and, and Ryan Tannehill was injured. So it is going to be very important this year for the Dolphins to get the right offensive coordinator. I think it is going to be the biggest thing that the Dolphins need to address this offseason because you can get all the talent you want. You can get all the running back help, linemen you want. It doesn't matter. If your quarterback keeps changing his offensive coordinator every year, none else, none of that matters. And so far, we are 0 for 2 on offensive coordinators. Chad O'Shea, we fired him. Chan Gailey retires. And I, I knew Changeli wasn't the long-term answer. I thought he would maybe stay for one more year. But now that I think about it, it's probably better that he left this year because you don't want Tua in a scheme for two years and then, then he leaves. So it's honestly kind of better that he left this year 
Now let's talk about the positives. The first positive, you are no longer going to have a scheme fit for Ryan Fitzpatrick because we saw that this whole entire year. Yes, they ran some OPR, o, RPO concepts when um, Tua came in the game, but this was a scheme and this was a guy in Chan Gailey who really felt way more comfortable calling plays and designing a system for Ryan Fitzpatrick rather than Tua. And some of that is on him because, look, if you're going to take a job and you know they're taking Tua, you need to call better plays for him. But also at the same time, Chan Gailey did not know Tua was going to play 10 out of 16 games. Uh, He wasn't supposed to. He was supposed to play after the bye week, which was originally going to be week 11. So some of that's on Chan, some of it's not. Some of it's on neither because it's just, you know, the fact that COVID happened. But the positive of it is you're going to hopefully, I say this optimistically, cautiously optimistically, you are hopefully going to get a better system for Tua that utilizes his skill set. Something that's not as outdated, it's newer, it's more, uh, it's, it's, it's more modern. Um, that's the positive to all of this. But I don't want people to think, ooh, Chan Gailey's gone. That's amazing. We're going to, our offense is going to go from 20, you know, whatever it was, 22nd to first in the NFL next year. No, no, no. Like this could turn out to be just as much a negative as a positive. As for my opinion, I am happy he's gone, but I'm not like ecstatic. The only reason I'm happy he's gone is because I feel like I, the, the reason I'm, I'm not really happy. I'm, I'm, content and satisfied with him leaving because I I didn't ever think he was the long-term answer. I thought really he was just brought in to make Ryan Fitzpatrick as good as possible and then eventually they were going to replace him with someone better for Tua. So my thought on it is I really love, I'm both negative and positive, not really negative and positive. I'm sad and happy because I did like Chan Gailey a lot. I liked the leadership, the knowledge and wisdom he brought to our offense. He was such a good leader and teacher. Um, But at the same time, as much as I am upset that he's leaving, I am also happy because there were times where I questioned his play calling. Not, I didn't question obviously like the talent on the team because I understood or I didn't question, you know, anything as far as his ability to make us look better because I understood our offense was very lackluster. What I'm talking about is I question just him calling a run play when it should have been a pass or him calling multiple pass plays in a row. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about his ability to make our offense look good because that's not really on him. I don't think anyone could have made our offense look good. We just have no one. So I am excited to get probably a better uh, scheme that fits to his skill set more. But at the same time, I am upset because Chan Gailey brought a lot to this team as far as wisdom uh, that, you know, it, it, it's invaluable. And I'm glad Tua got a year under him to learn from him, to learn from Fitzpatrick. But now moving forward, whatever offensive coordinator we take has to be someone that A, Tua feels comfortable with, and B, is going to utilize his skill set to the best of their ability, okay? So now that we finished that, okay, we talked about all that. This is going to be a long podcast because that wasn't actually what I wanted to address in this podcast. The thing I wanted to talk about in this podcast is I wanted to give grades to the rookie and free agent class of 2020 specifically based on their performance this year. I 
am not about giving grades to rookies, like as far as grading draft picks until after their second year. So we're going to do another podcast where I grade last year's free agent and draft class, but you will not see me give like, okay, this is the grade for Noah Igbenogany, that draft pick. No, I'm going to grade his performance in 2020, but that in no way, and I want people to understand this, this in no way is what I feel about them moving on. This is just someone could have a F this year as far as this is how they perform this year. It was not good. And next year they could be in the Pro Bowl. I have no idea. I'm just saying based off of this year, this is the grade I'm giving them on their performance. You know, it's like if you grade a test, you can get an F on a test, but still pass the class. I'm just saying this is the grade I'm giving them this year based off of what they did. And then moving forward, they could obviously get better or get worse. This is just based off 2020 alone. So let's start off in our free agent class, okay? We're going to start on special teams, the people that we acquired on special teams, and those two people would be Clayton Fedulum and Kamu Grugier-Hill. So for these two free agent signings, as far as how well they performed, I'm going to give Clayton Fedulum an A on his performance and Kamu Grugier-Hill a B, maybe B-. minus. Um, uh, Clayton Fedulum came in and really he converted all of our fourth down conversions on special teams. Uh, he was really, really, um, a key component of our special team success, both in punt coverage, kickoff returns and, uh, fake, fake punts. So for that reason alone, he did great for the money we're giving him and the impact he had on our games. He gets an A in my opinion. Again, this isn't, I'm not giving people who were very flashy A's. I'm giving people who did their job well and who had an impact on this team. That's why I'm giving A's. Kamu Grugier Hill, I gave him a B, B minus because he didn't really do much. He did some stuff on special teams. Obviously, there's that one catch on the fake punt that got called back, but he didn't really do much on this team so far this past year. So for that reason, I'm giving him a B, B minus. He was average. He was solid. He wasn't bad. He wasn't great. So he's a B. Next up, let's move to the defensive side because this is where we spent most of our money this free uh, free agency period. So first, we have to start with Byron Jones. Most money is we gave him. So Byron Jones, I'm giving him an A minus. Some people will disagree with that because they think he deserves higher. Some people will disagree with that because they think he deserves lower. I'm giving him an A minus because we need to understand, and I'll break this down for you. You need to understand the impact Byron Jones had. Xavier Howard had a 10 interception season for two reasons. One, he was healthy the full season. And two, he had someone opposite of him that knew how to play the position. And in years past, what's happened is teams would just not throw to Xavier Howard because the guy opposite of him was a horrible cornerback. So Xavier Howard wasn't getting a lot of interceptions because teams just weren't throwing to him. Now, this year, you have Byron Jones. And while he isn't the ball hawk that Xavier Howard is, which two interceptions this season is the same amount he's had in his whole career. So clearly he is working and Brian Flores is utilizing him to the best of his ability. But what I'm trying to say is when you have someone like Byron Jones, it forces a quarterback to make a decision. And while you would think the smarter decision would be to throw at the guy that doesn't pick the ball off as much, you never know. And a quarterback is going to throw to usually the guy more open. And Xavier Howard is known for leaving his guy open 
and then last minute utilizing his speed and tricking the quarterback into throwing it, thinking that he's open, but he's really not. So quarterbacks, what happens is they look at Byron Jones, Byron Jones is on his guy completely, and then Xavier Howard isn't, so let me throw to Xavier Howard, oh wait, he is on his guy and he intercepted it. Now, I didn't give him an A because there were a couple plays where he got burnt, um, specifically the one to Kirk Merritt in the Arizona game. But I understand that's going to happen when you're playing cover zero. You run the risk of, you know, God forbid you get beat. It's a touchdown because people need to understand cornerbacks get beat all the time. It's just it doesn't always result in a touchdown because there's usually two high safeties in the cover zero. If you get burnt, there's no one there to protect you. And it's a touchdown. So that's not really on Byron Jones. Cornerbacks are going to get beat all the time. Xavier Howard got beat a lot of times against DK Metcalf, Stefan Diggs. He got burnt a lot of times. But I can't put that on a, on a cornerback because there's so many other plays where he did such great things. So I gave him an A-. He certainly, in my opinion, lived up to his contract because he allowed teams to throw at Xavier Howard more and Xavier Howard to get those 10 interceptions. Again, a lot of it is on Xavier Howard. He played very, very well and he was healthy. But you have to give credit, too, to Byron Jones for doing his part and covering his guy. Next up, we have the linebacker room. We have, uh, I think, Kyle Van Noy and Landon Roberts because I already talked about Kamu Grugier-Hill. Kyle Van Noy, I'm giving a B plus, And the reason I'm giving him a B plus on his performance in 2020 is because he had one of his best statistical seasons. He is a leader on this team. He does a lot of the dirty work. And uh, the only reason I'm not giving him an A- and an A is because he is getting paid a, a good amount. It's not a lot, but he is getting paid good amount, and I would have liked to see him just do a little more, but he was very disruptive at a lot of times. He was a key contributor to our leadership and communication on a defensive side, and so for him, like I, I think he should be on this team for at least another year to two um, because you saw the improvement from people around him because of his knowledge in this system and his leadership. Next, we go to Landon Roberts. Landon Roberts, I'm giving a B. Um, similar to Kamu Grugier Hill, like he had A moments where he would like stuff a run in the back on fourth and one, but he also had a lot of moments where like he just looked like he was getting out physical and out athleticized. Is that a word? He he, he just wasn't as athletic, athletic and um uh, he wasn't as like mobile as a lot of the people on the field. And really the only thing he was good at was stuffing the run. And so he had moments where it was an A and he had moments where it was a C and he got injured a lot. So I'm going to give him a B. It was solid. We aren't paying him a lot. So I'm giving him a B based off of his performance in 2020. Next up, we go to the defensive line to cap off the defense. We have Emmanuel Ogba and Shaq Lawson. Emmanuel Ogba, based off of his performance and what we're paying him and what we I expected from him, I'm giving him an A because he turned out to be a force to be reckoned with. I understand he didn't get as many sacks as he was projected to have when he was on that streak, but you have to understand part of that is because teams started double teaming him and he was still being disruptive. He finished the season with nine sacks. He's not getting paid that much at all. Um, I'm trying to see what his contract is. He's getting two years, 15 million. He's only getting paid seven and a half million. And for a defensive end who gets nine sacks, like that's not a lot at all. And so based off of how he performed, the leadership he brought, the energy he brought, um, his personality in general, I gave him an A. That was a great, great signing by Chris Greer. 
um, and one that I think is he's even going to get better in this system as he continues. And then last but not least, we have Shaq Lawson. Shaq Lawson, I gave a B. Uh, to me, he was kind of underwhelming. Uh, and, and most of that wasn't his fault. Most of that was because Andrew Van Ginkle, who was his backup, would come in many times and play much better than him. He was more athletic. He was more dynamic. And Andrew Van Ginkle would come in and, and do some some great stuff all the time. I think stats on the year, he had five and a half sacks. And that's more than Shaq Lawson had. You know, uh, Shaq Lawson finished the season... Uh, stat-wise, with only four sacks. So Andrew Van Ginkle had a sack and a half more than him. And so if you're going to get paid $10 million a year, I expect you to play better than your backup. And part of that's on him. Part of that's just on Andrew Van Ginkle being very good. Um, but Shaq Lawson was underwhelming to me. He had moments where he was great. He had moments where I was like, I didn't even know he was on the field. And I expect the Dolphins, I don't know if it's going to be this year because he has a $10 million cap hit. But I don't expect him to be on this team after next year, especially with the rise and development of Andrew Van Ginkle. So now let's break. Uh, let's finish off free agency with the offense. So the Dolphins offense really was the the biggest letdown as far as free agency, because so far up to this point, every single draft or every single free agent we've signed, in my opinion, as far as their performance has been a B to an A. So we've had a bunch of good signings. On offense, it changes. So offensively, we had Adam Shaheen, Eric Flowers, Jordan Howard, and Matt Breida. Jordan Howard is an F because he didn't do anything. He was on this team barely for, what what was it, like five games, five, six games? Not even, I don't think, or maybe even longer, but he was healthy scratch for a lot of them. So that's an F. I really think that what they did is they were like, yeah, we don't think he's going to be amazing, but let's just pay him $5 million a year. And, you know, it worse comes to worse. If, if, if he's not good, $5 million is nothing in the grand scheme of things. So that was an F. Matt Breida, I'm not going to give Matt Breida an F. I'm actually giving him a C, which is going to surprise some people. And the reason for that is because when he was on the field, he never really looked like bad. That was my thing. Like, they just didn't utilize him or use him in the way that I thought they should. Um, like, there would be times where our running game wasn't doing anything and they wouldn't even use Matt Breida. Like, he would just sit on the sideline. So I don't know how much of that is, like, his attitude or what they were seeing in practice. I have no idea. But, like, the, I can't give him an F because it's not like they used him a lot and he sucked. Like, they just didn't use him a lot. And I don't know why. So I'm giving him a C. I don't expect him to be on this team. But, again, I'm not going to give him, like, a D or an F because there's no body of work where I can look at and was like, yeah, you sucked. He had a fumble, but... All of our running backs had fumbles, so I can't like look at him and dock him for any play. Uh, he just wasn't used a lot, and I think he could have been and should have been used more. So I'm not going to dock him for that. I gave him a C. Now Eric Flowers and Adam Shaheen. Uh, Adam Shaheen, I gave Adam Shaheen an A. Um, based off of what you got for him and what you got or what you gave to get him, he had a, a great season. I mean, he was. We basically got him for next to nothing, uh, and at the end of the year, he ended up with three touchdowns, 150 yards, which isn't a lot, but he got three touchdowns for us, and for someone that we barely had, we, we didn't really do anything uh, to get him. We didn't give up anything. We gave him a contract extension 
um, for two years, $7.6 million. That's $3 million a year. And for someone to contribute the way he did on offense and in the run game for only $3 million a year, I gave him an A. Again, was he explosive? Was he amazing? No. But you're paying him $3 million a year, and he's a third-string tight end. So I gave him an A. And then Eric Flowers. I'm giving Eric Flowers a B-. minus. I want to give him a C+, plus, but I'm going to be nicer because he was um, a leader and a very energetic guy on the sidelines for the team, but there were multiple times where Eric Flowers was the third best offensive lineman that we had. In my order, it's Ted... Oh, wait, we forgot about Ted Karras. I'll talk about him next. But Ted Karras... Actually, no, I'll talk about now. Ted Karras, I'm giving him a B plus. Ted Karras, for most of the season, was our best offensive lineman. And so, again, going back to Eric Flowers, there were multiple times where Eric Flowers was your worst or your third best offensive lineman behind Ted Karras and Robert Hunt. And if you're getting paid the most money, you should be the best. I know that's not always the case, but that should be the case. And so for him, based off his performance, he had a lot of holding calls on him. He wasn't really all of all that. And there were a lot of times where he wasn't able to be on the field because of injury. So I docked him and I gave him a B minus and I'm being kind um, because... You know, he, he wasn't really that amazing, and I think it's a position the Dolphins should address in the years to come, uh, whether that's through the draft, moving Solomon Kinley over, and on right guard, you know, getting a right guard or putting Michael Dieter there, whatever it may be, I'm not really a Eric Flowers fan. I'm not sold on him. So those are all the people. We have, te- we have all the free agent signings. Again, aside from really those three, Jordan Howard, Matt Breida, and Eric Flowers, we did very well in, in free agency. Everyone we brought in contributed, and even Eric Flowers, like he contributed. He wasn't god awful, but he wasn't amazing for what we're paying him. And so, you know, I think the Dolphins did a phenomenal job in the offseason. So now to finish it off, let's break down the draft really quick. We're gonna go from seventh to we're gonna go from the seventh round to the first round, and we're gonna do it pretty quickly because video is getting to 35 minutes now almost. So the seventh round, Malcolm Perry. I gave Malcolm Perry, based off his performance, a B plus. The reason I gave him a B plus is because Malcolm Perry was a quarterback in 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 college football. Yes, he could play wide receiver and running back, but he was a quarterback, and he caught a touchdown in the last game. He had some good plays early on with Tua, and for a seventh round draft pick to come in and have impact and and have starting role at times, that's impressive to me, especially when you're learning a new position like wide receiver. That was impressive to me, and I expect him to continue to develop into the next year. And honestly, guys, I expect him to be a really key part to our offense next year. I expect him, he could be a punt returner for us if we get rid of Jakeem Grant. He could be good on special teams. He could be a good gadget player, quarterback, um, slot wide receiver. I'm excited for him, so I gave him a B plus. Sixth round. Uh, in the sixth round, the Dolphins took Blake Ferguson. Blake Ferguson, in my opinion, was an A-plus pick. And people are going to laugh at me because of that, and I understand that. When during the season did you see a bad snap during a punt or a field goal? The answer is never. He was spot on the entire season. You never saw anything bad come from him. And a lot of people talk about Jason Sanders and the success he had. And I understand that rightfully so. But in order to have success kicking a field goal, you have to have a good snap and a good hold. That's why every time they kick the field goal and it's good... The announcers always say the, the, you know, good snap, good hold, good kick. 
You have to have all three. And every single time, Matt Hawk and Blake Ferguson were solid on their snap and hold. Because if your snap is too high or too low, that messes up the timing of everything. So that was an A-plus to me. You have a long snapper now. And I know that's really not the sexiest position, but it you know what's you don't talk about a lot, but you're going to talk about it if there's a botched snap on a field goal or a punt. Then you'll talk about it and you'll wish he was gone. But he was solid and perfect the entire season, every single time. And Lord knows we punted and kicked a lot of field goals this season. He was perfect. Next up in the fifth round, three people. Jason Strobridge, Curtis Weaver, and Matt Breida, who we traded for, talked about Matt Breida. Curtis Weaver, I can grade that draft pick, actually, because he's not on the team anymore, so that's an F. Uh, You know, I, I applaud the Dolphins for what they did. I'm just grading him, and basically the overall draft pick was an F. They took a guy who had high end potential in the fifth round. He could have gone in the third, honestly, but because of his uh his motor, his physicality, his physique, he went to the fifth round. We took a chance on him, didn't work, never played a snap for us. That's an F. Jason Strobridge, I'm giving a B, and it should be a to be determined because He didn't play that much, rightfully so, because he was behind Davis, Wilkins, and Sealer. But when he was on the field, I saw him do some great things. It's just he's so raw as a prospect that I can't really grade him. But when he was on the field, it was a B. It wasn't anything amazing, but it was certainly not bad. So I'm grading him as a B, but really it's a TBD. I'm excited for his development. Now in the fourth round, we have Solomon Kinley. Based off of his play... I'm giving him a B, B minus, but based off of him being a fourth round pick and and starting every game that he was healthy, that's a B, B plus. Uh, So overall, I'm going to give Solomon Kinley a B to be a fourth round draft pick and to come in, earn a starting role because originally he was not supposed to be the right guard to earn a starting role. That to me is a B. He obviously has a lot of room for improvement. I feel like his his he's not that good in the run game and not that strong in the pass game compared to like Robert Hunt. But again, fourth round draft pick. He played decently in in his first year as a rookie, starting every game that he was healthy to play in. So for that, I'm giving him a B. Um, now third round, third round, Brandon Jones. Brandon Jones to me was a B plus, possibly an A minus. He I'm excited for him because some people think that he is not going to be our free safety next year because, you know, Bob, we can have both. We can have Bobby McCain and Brandon Jones start. I would much rather see Bobby McCain, if he's going to be on this team, play at slot corner and Brandon Jones be our free safety. He's more athletic. He's faster. He's more physical. He's younger and he's cheaper. So I would much rather see him if he's ready to take that step. I would much rather see him at free safety. I talked about this before the draft, but I didn't have my podcast yet, but I loved the Brandon Jones pick. And I said he was my one of my favorite picks or acquisitions of the whole entire offseason, including free agency. I love Brandon Jones. He just looks like a football player. Like when you watch him, how fast he is, how physical he is, he looks like a football player. And I love his personality. So for his play on the field, I'm giving him a B plus. He had a sack. He had some good tackles. He had some really nice plays. He did have that one play where he gave Tyler Boyd outside leverage for a 72-yard touchdown. Part of that's on him. Part of that's on Byron Jones. But he did some great stuff on the field for the Dolphins. And he was a third-round pick. So he's looking like a steal. Because if you can get someone in the third round that contributes that much on your team right away, 
Again, for uh, that 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 to me is awesome. B plus. Next second round, Raekwon Davis and Robert Hunt. Let's start with R- Robert Hunt first. Robert Hunt, I gave an A minus. The reason I gave him an A minus is because he at times was our best offensive lineman. For most of the season, it was Ted Karras, but Robert Hunt looked solid. Like he he wasn't the most amazing, but again, second round draft pick. He is really actually a right guard is his best position, but he played right tackle, which is to his blind side. And he did, in my opinion, a very good job for being a second round pick, someone who a lot of people thought needed a lot of development. He played very well, and I think he's going to take a huge leap forward. He was great in the run game, an absolute mauler. He was decent in the pass game. I think he has a lot of room to improve there. But again, A- minus for him to start um, and to beat out Jesse Davis and to start there because there were times where Jesse Davis was available and they chose Solomon Kinley and Robert Hunt. So it's not like Robert Hunt only got the job because Jesse Davis had to replace Kinley or Flowers. No, Robert Hunt was better than Davis and he beat him out. So hats off to him. Then Raekwon Davis. Raekwon Davis, to me, was the highest graded rookie of the Dolphins 2020 season. I gave Raekwon Davis an A. Um, He was the third highest graded defensive player taken in the draft in 2020. Not by the Dolphins, by anyone. I want you to, I want to say that again. Raekwon Davis was the highest, was the third highest graded defensive player taken in the 2020 draft by any team. The only people that were ahead of him were Legereus Sneed and Chase Young. And then it was Raekwon Davis. So the fact that you got him in the second round at the end of the second round, like that, that to me, that's an A. And if Raekwon Davis can just get physically just more in shape, he is going to be a monster because his impact in the run game and as just a physical presence in the center at, at um, nose tackle, it was impressive to watch. Uh, So I gave him an A, and he is my highest-graded 2020 Miami Dolphins rookie uh, classman. Next, we have the first round. Noah Igbenogany, I gave him a C. The reason I'm giving him a C, again, not an F, is because you put him against Stefan Diggs and Tyler Lockett in his first two starts as the youngest player in the 2020 draft. What do you think is going to happen? He's going to look horrible. Okay, Stefan Diggs made professional veteran high paid cornerbacks look silly. And so you put the youngest player in the 2020 draft who had never started a game against him and Tyler Lockett. No, I'm not going to dock the kid because as much as we want to say he looked horrible against the Bills and the Seahawks, he played a great game against the Jaguars when he was up against less superior talent because he himself is not superior yet as a rookie. He played well. He had a tackle for a loss. He had some pass breakups. He played well. And so I'm giving him a C because I think, one, he shouldn't be playing boundary corner. He should be our our slot cornerback because that's what he's good at. That's what his physical skill set is good for. He's short. He's fast. He's good at breaking and being physical. He should be a slot cornerback. But I understand they put him at the outside because slot is a hard position to learn because you not only have to worry about the inside routes, but outside routes. If you're a boundary corner, you really only have to worry about, uh, you know, go routes and crossing inside or maybe a back shoulder to the sideline. When you're a slot corner, you have to worry about basically every route in the route tree. So I understand why he wasn't played at slot corner, 
So I'm not going to dock him. I'm not going to give him an F. A bunch of people just want to bury the kid. He's 21 years old, and he went against Stefan Diggs and Tyler Lockett. What do you think is going to happen? Again, when he played Jacksonville, he looked good. He didn't look amazing, but he looked good. And as a rookie, a developmental guy, I'm excited to see the big leap he takes forward in year two. Not to mention all the all the good stuff he did in special teams. I know he's a first-round pick, so he should have more value than that. But again, when you have Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, what do you expect him to do? Like, do you expect him to beat out Byron Jones or Xavier Howard? And he's not ready to go to slot. He didn't get an offseason. He's not going to go to slot yet. So again, I gave him a C. He definitely did not look great. That's why I'm giving him a C and not an A. But he didn't look awful like an F. I'm not going to dock the kid because he struggled against Tyler Lockett and Stefan Diggs. Next up, Austin Jackson. Austin Jackson, I gave a B, B minus. Um, he was, to me, underwhelming for a mid-first round pick. But also, again, he was an improvement um, over what we had last year with Julian Davenport. Um, and really, I would have put him maybe a little higher but he was injured and that bothered me that he was injured that much during the season. And so for him, again, B, probably a B minus. I expect him to take a big leap forward in year two. Um, And, you know, hopefully next year he is a much better left tackle. He wasn't bad, but I mean, aside from Solomon Kinley, he was probably our least impressive offensive lineman. Uh, There were times where he was great. There were times where he wasn't. Uh, So I'm giving him a B, B minus. And last but not least, Tua. Tua, I'm giving a B plus based off his performance in 2020. Um, I'm not giving him an A because there were times where he didn't do the right thing. He looked like a rookie, and I understand that. But a bunch of people that say he was garbage, he was trash, I just don't get it. Like, he wasn't supposed to play this year. And he played more games this year for us than Ryan Fitzpatrick. He didn't turn the ball over that much. He had a, a you know, 13 touchdowns, five interceptions, 13 total touchdowns. So that's a almost three to one ratio of touchdowns to interceptions as a rookie, 65% completion rating. And he did, and, and he stayed healthy, which to me is the most important thing out of all of it. He stayed healthy. So I don't know how people can give him lower than like a B plus, maybe even an A minus. Cause like, yeah, he wasn't explosive, but like they didn't need him to be and they didn't ask him to be, but I'm not going to give him an A because, you know, there were times where he looked like a rookie. He made rookie mistakes, but again, he had no talent around him and people say Fitzpatrick made that talent way better. Yeah. That's what you're supposed to do when you've been in the league for 16 years and you've been in the system for five years. Of course you make the people around you look better. Two is a rookie, though. Give him time. So for him, I gave him a B plus. Um, I think he did a, a, a solid to above average job in 2020, and I'm really excited to see his development with a new offensive coordinator, better weapons around him, better offensive line. I'm really excited to see where we go with Tua, and I'm so glad that the Dolphins in their press conference yesterday said he is our quarterback 2021. End of discussion. I want to stay that right now. Chris Greer was like, I want to make that clear. He is our quarterback moving forward. Okay. And a bunch of people said, I saw a bunch of people like, why did you say that? Like you should have made it, you know, kind of murky water because then a team would really want to trade for your third pick. Let me explain to you why that's, that's not correct in any way. If you made it seem like you wanted a quarterback, why would a team trade with you? If you want a quarterback, you're not trading your pick. 
if you wanted a quarterback, a team would trade ahead of you to take that quarterback. Not They wouldn't trade for your pick. So the Dolphins did exactly what you should do if you're trying to get out of that third pick, which either take Penne Sewell or trade out of it. And the Dolphins did exactly what they should. Look, we're not looking for a quarterback with our third pick. He's our starting guy. So for a team that wants a quarterback, we're available. Hey, come trade with us. They did it perfectly. I didn't want to see them come out and say, yeah, we're not sure about Tua. No, give him confidence going into year two. Let everyone know we are building around Tua. And if you want to come get a quarterback, we're available at number three because we don't want one. So to the people that are like, you needed to make it seem like we didn't believe in Tua or that we might get a quarterback at three. No, because if if we want a quarterback at three, a team's not going to trade with us because we want a quarterback. If, if we want a quarterback, a team wants to trade ahead of us to get a quarterback before us. So we don't have to say anything. It's the fa- the, the three teams behind us. It's the Falcons, I forget who's five, and the, the um, Eagles. Those are the teams that have to convince people that, you know, I, I don't know. Like one of those teams, those are the teams that are taking a quarterback that other teams should worry about because they want to trade ahead of them. The Dolphins did exactly what they needed to do. So as far as that, we're good to go. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast, a really long podcast, my longest ever, but I wanted to break down a lot of stuff. Hope you guys are doing well. Stay safe. I'll see you again on Friday. Fins up.